I'm just not really sure how I feel about this big gap between the front two rows and the last three. I, I just, because pastors, as they started coming in, they all went back there. And, and the, folks who, the folks who came in later, they're like, it's only the front row available. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. Well, Pastor said, uh, would it be okay for him to be in here for a few minutes? And I can't tell him no, because he's my pastor. But I'll, I'll just tell you that he and I fought over who gets to teach this. And I won. I think he just yielded to age. You know. Submitted to age. Well, well, okay. <laughs> um, I, the backstory on what this book means to me and why I fought to get to, to share some of the things in it is that since, um, like, March, every Saturday morning, not every Saturday morning, but a lot of Saturday mornings, I've been on a Zoom devotional group with ladies in Michigan, and we've gone through this book. Now, this book has 21 daily devotionals about prayer, but it's got all of these other connecting chapters. So you could read a chapter a day and it would take you at least a month to get through every division of the information. We're doing six one hour sessions and I've been with these ladies on the Zoom call for about 20 one hour sessions so far and we're only through day 14. If that tells you anything about what this book is it is chock slap full, and I'm telling you, we are going to be the very tip-top iceberg, and there's going to be all this underneath it. This is not a commercial to buy the book, but I'm telling you, if you can get this book, it is well worth the 20 bucks or so. It's not an expensive book at all. It's written by an apostolic pastor from Pear Lane, Texas. So that carries a lot right there for me because I believe his foundational doctrine is the same one that we are taught and is embedded in us with such a passion from our pastoral leadership. And I just want to read one little section. One of the reasons why I'm encouraging you to get the book for yourself is that I'm going to be adapting, pulling. We've got you know some notes that you can go and study. But this book is like a poetry book in some ways. He says in one of his introductory chapters, warning, this is not a typical book about prayer. No minced words, no excuses. Your life and the lives of those you love are in peril. Yes. Our world trembles. The cause of Christ hangs in the balance. If we can't figure out how to pray, we have lost something that we will not get back and the people we love will never have a chance to experience. That's what this book is. So I'm just telling you, our little journey through the six weeks is going to be an effort to give you the highlights of it. But when you can get into it for yourself, it will make a difference. It, it will transform. I'm not done being transformed by it by any stretch of the imagination. So you'll see in the handouts, um, I do have the information about it. You can buy it on Amazon. Um, and I mean, you know, seriously, it's, it's a, a bargain. Um, and what, what we're going to do across the, the six weeks is take those 21 daily devotions and kind of just chunk them up, and, and we'll do a few each week. So there are times when I'll have a direct quote from the book and that'll be in a box with the page number referenced. So that when you get your own copy, you can go back and, and read it differently and read it anew and say, oh, that was the rest of the story that we didn't get in that big group session. Um, there are other times when the things that are on the page are paraphrasing from the book or summaries, or there are things that I was inspired by as I read it and as God showed me things. Um, and then some of the things that we'll have in here are outcomes of the discussion that I had with these ladies over the Zoom call as we, every Saturday morning, would come in to our, our screen or our device and, and we would start with, well, what did you underline? What meant something to you? 
there's questions at the end of every devotional. There's, there's things to go deeper. There's ways to keep thinking about it, ways that you could discuss it with your own family members, with friends at work, you know, with a P7 club, just all kinds of ways. So, again, happy to make a commercial about the book, even though I don't get any kind of commission on it. Um, it it's a pretty great book. The introductory chapter says that the goal of Brother Gurley in writing this book is to just be about Jesus, only Jesus. Not about someone's philosophy, not about um, anything other than Jesus and how prayer connects us to him and how the word and the things in history and the things in the past, present, and the future promises are all about our connection to God in prayer. And he says that our world is in peril. We're sick. Mm -hmm. The diagnosis of our world is acute prayerlessness. The problems of the world and maybe even churches is acute prayerlessness. The cure for that diagnosis is to rebuild our devotion to prayer, to rebuild the altar that has been broken. Because the prayer altar, the, the sacrifice, that symbol and that place and that dedication time of talking with God, when we don't tend it and it gets neglected and broken, it needs to be rebuilt. And so that's our cure for this acute prayerlessness, that illness there. And our prevention for getting sick again and having acute prayerlessness to come back on us, because you know if you don't take all your antibiotics, guess what, the doctor can't promise you're not gonna get sick again, right? Have you read that on the bottle? Even when you feel better, keep taking the pills. Well, that's prevention as well. Eating well, exercising, staying healthy is prevention. Our prevention for never having acute prayerlessness come back on us is to keep the prayer fires lit. And there are aspects of the way sacrifice is discussed in the Old Testament, the way fires of revival are discussed in our history and in present day. All of those things are, are just throughout this book as those poetic examples that will keep coming back. So we'll have those ideas kind of come up again and again. In this first session, we're gonna take four of the devotions from the first week. And that will be the walking voice, God awaits our voice, practicing his presence, and one magnificent obsession. And again, I've, I've taken those four chapters and smooshed them and you know, kind of flip them a little bit to, to make something that I thought might fit in this hour. Um, I like to have interaction. I like to have questions. Um, I will possibly be asking you questions. What I have not done as well today in advance, but I promise I will, so please come back to, to prove me right, is get you involved in looking up certain scriptures to help me read. So we'll, we'll be doing that, maybe not as much tonight. Um, but I like having those kinds of sessions together so that it's not just me doing this at you and you wondering when I'm going to stop talking. So, um, any questions before we take off? You, you thought we hadn't started yet? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, the walking voice. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Who is they in that verse? Adam and Eve. The only people God had even bothered to create. And he wanted them to be with him. He, he was walking in the beautiful place that he had created. And they heard him and, and thought, oh, wait, what is that? And they were drawn. 
And God is drawing us the same way today. He, he is the walking voice. That's, that's fascinating to me. And, and Genesis says they heard him. They, you know, it doesn't say they saw him. Right. It said they heard him. Yes. Wow. So what that's saying to me is there's all kinds of ways that God is letting me know that he's calling me. All kinds of ways that his voice may be showing up in my life. And I can talk about the ways that I think I see God in the faces of people I love, in the nature outside. But there are things about hearing him, too, that are a part of that. And I'd like you to think about the ways that God speaks to you today, if you have an ear to hear. Who in the room loves nature? Oh, good, 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 good. Flower beds? Okay. Uh, rather, rather be outside than in the air conditioning? Oh, wow. Mosquitoes? Yeah. Okay, I found a, a couple of you. A couple of you. All right. So, in Psalm 19, verses 1 through 3, David said that the heavens declare the glory of God. Yeah. And the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech. And night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. No speech nor language where the natural phenomena that God created, their voice is not heard. In other words, in every language on earth, there's some kind of word or phrase that expresses God's magnificence in the natural world. That's pretty neat. So there are a lot of times when... The sound of the wind will remind you who God is. And that is a way that he speaks to us to say, hey, I'm here. Hey, you're not alone. Don't forget. His word, each word in the Bible is God-breathed. Did you know that the word inspire, the root of it is God-breathed? So respiration is breathing out, but inspiration is breathing in and when God breathes into us his word is one of those ways that we're inspired and if every word in the Bible was inspired by God then that's a letter to us I mean every word of it is directly written for us that's him speaking and when you read it again and again he speaks anew every time too so that's magnificent to me. What about number three, judgment? First of all, I apologize. Romans 1 and 8 as a scripture reference. Just mark through that. Not real sure why that got in your handout. Because it, it, it doesn't make sense in terms of judgment. <clears throat> God speaking through judgment. Does anybody have an example that they might want to share that they know of a judgment that you're like, oh yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, that, that was God telling them what. Okay, all right, the plagues in Egypt, yeah. Oh, I thought you were talking about personal. Yeah. Like, and, and if you if you have one that you can share, yes. You know, I, I, if you're not comfortable with it, I understand, but. I'll tell you this, if you before God, he will humble you. Okay. You don't want him to humble you. It's a lot easier to humble yourself before him. Yeah, yeah. And the Bible says to sanctify yourself. That means to set apart. You know, it's our job to set apart. He set me apart from solitary for 11 months. So. Okay. <laughs> and, and, yeah, so that was that example of don't put us in the, don't put me in the position of God humbling me because that's a much harder lesson. Yeah. To, that's a much harsher sound on my spiritual ear. Right. That, that's like the other day at work, Roman got in trouble and I found out about it and I called him from work and used my mama voice on the phone with my son and my coworkers heard it. And my coworkers all did like this when I used my mama voice. That kind of God speaking right. to us, it sure gets your attention, yes. but it stings for a while. Yeah. It stings for a while. Yeah. So... Big, big judgments, you know, the plagues. There are folks who say natural disasters like earthquakes. Mm -hmm. 
hurricane that I mean I can remember when Hurricane um, Katrina <laughs> hit New Orleans there were a lot of sermons about that being a form of judgment on the sin that prevailed in New Orleans um, the earthquakes in San Francisco way back in the 1900s there were preachers that were saying on the one hand God didn't do this, but there were also preachers saying, yeah, there's scriptures all in the Bible about God sending earthquakes. Where were you? Have you read Revelation yet? <laughs> there's a lot of judgment attached to earthquakes, so God could have used that kind of thing, and, it, and it's God delivering those harsh words to get our attention. Miracles. Somebody tell me about a time that a miracle you, I, you knew absolutely that it was God showing you where he was. Yes, ma'am. My son was in Oklahoma. It was Christmas Eve. He went to trade vehicles with a cousin. And when he was coming around this big corner about, well, he was driving 70 miles an hour and he come around this corner and there was a donkey standing in the middle of the road and he hit it. Oh, my. And it went through his windshield. And he had, his face was all messed up, broke both his arms talking his car. Mm. He was a mess. And the reception for the phone was in and out. He couldn't hardly get a hold of anybody. And he was with his cousin. His cousin kept trying to call. And there was no way that a helicopter could have got to where he was in time to save him, except that there was one lost that had got there <laughs> by accident. And it was right above him. And just happened to be able to find him by the time to take him to the hospital and save him. And then while they were there, both my nephew and my son heard God say, be still okay. and know that I am God. Oh, yes. Praise yes. God. So an audible voice, number seven. Yeah. God, God used signs and wonders and an audible voice in that situation, too. God reminding us of who he is and how much he loves us with miracles, signs, and wonders. In Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 7, it talks about how Paul had one thing in mind, but the Holy Spirit impressed him to go a different way. So sometimes that nudge, it's, it's not anything earth-shaking. It might seem like the simplest decision but if we truly desire to know what God wants us to do in everything, then we'll pray about the simplest decisions. And it may just be, okay, well, I really feel like this instead of this, and so I'm going to go with this. And then you'll see God's hand revealed by those impressions, taking you down a path and another series of decisions. And you may have to get back you have to get down the road and look back and kind of recognize what had happened. But sometimes just those little nudges are one of the ways he speaks. I have my own story about how he speaks through circumstances. Now, in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40, it talks about Philip encountering the Ethiopian eunuch. And he was witnessing to him, and, and he was trying to help him interpret the word. And in the, in the process of Philip ministering to him, he became convinced that he needed to be baptized. And then they kind of went on their way, and all of a sudden, there was water. And the circumstance was, oh, look, here's water. You know, why can't I be baptized? Let's, let's just go ahead. Well, those little, is this, do you believe in coincidence? You know, I mean, that's kind of where I operate. I, I choose to not believe in coincidence. And so... I'll just be real with y'all. All the way to work this morning, I'm fretting over somebody on my team. I hate to say employee because I just work for somebody else and these people just work on my team. But somebody on my team I'm having problems with. And I mean, I'm just having problems. Been having problems. We've tried different things, not getting anywhere. And I just decided to stop fretting about it and start talking to God about it. And I do that when I drive a lot, which sometimes gets me in trouble because I forget how fast I'm not supposed to go, you know. But the hand of God, he protects me and he keeps me from getting too many tickets. And this morning, there were tears involved and I just finally said, 
okay, Lord, I don't know what to do. You're just going to have to take care of it. And I happened to cross paths with someone that I hardly ever see. She works in my building, but she's on the other side. And we just happened to be in the restroom at the same time. I mean, I'm being real. I'm being a little bit transparent. And she said, I've been wanting to tell you that so-and-so applied for a job in my unit, and I'm going to give her an interview. And I just really like to let people know. Well, the person she was talking about was the exact person I had prayed about. Lord, you're going to have to take care of this. Amen. Now, she could have already, she, it could be two weeks from now when she's interviewed the woman and made whatever decision she's going to make before I ever found out. Because the person on my team had not told me she had applied. She had not told me that she it was expecting an interview. But the fact that I ran into, and, and this person that I hardly ever see knew who I was and knew that that person was on my team. And the circumstance of that, the timing of that, why was I in the restroom at that time? Why was she in the restroom? You know, all those little things. Sitting at the stop sign, left turn, right turn. Those circumstances. I think God speaks the most often to me through circumstances. But let's remember that if our ears are open to hear him, yes. then we're more likely to recognize right. when that happens too. It may be that it happens all the time for all kind of people, but their <clears throat> ears aren't open to it. And so they just think it's chance. They just think it's luck. They just think it's bad luck. But if it's really God speaking to us and we can hear him in that moment, then it certainly can change the way you act, the choices that you make after that. And it can guide your life in a different way. Does anybody else have a, an example of the way God speaks to you? <clears throat> yes, sir. I, I enjoy giving Bible studies. Uh -huh. I've got 20 or more so at the house. And it just seems like whenever anybody asks for one, they're all named in such a way. And, and he does, he just immediately tells me Ooh. this one and take this one. Oh, I love sometimes it. Sometimes it the people I speak to them, and honestly, sometimes that Bible study just doesn't make any sense, but I'll take it anyways. And then eventually I realize it makes total sense, you know. Okay. Okay. He does. He does that to me a lot. He speaks to me in that particular way. So. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. Yes, ma'am. God sends a stranger. Ooh, I like that one too. Yes, yes, yes. Somebody who would have no other reason. Yeah. Right. For knowing exactly what you needed to hear that day. Exactly. Okay. All right. All right. Any other ways? Yes. And then he confirmed it with that miracle sign and wonder. Yes. Yes, sir. I'm just, my recent position that I took with my job, my boss called me one day and I was at home and he said, hey, here's an opportunity. And I was like, a lot of pressure because I don't like change. And I went out and I was laying out kind of in the yard, looking up and there's like the roof line and there was not a cloud in the sky. And all of a sudden, this perfect arrow going towards Dallas comes across and I just felt like it said, go, and I can go to a video. And it just, after it goes over me, it just vanishes. Woo! <laughs> 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 it was a, so I did it, and it's, been, it's worked out. 
Absolutely. Love it, love it, love it. Thank y'all. Thank you so much for sharing. So our quote, uh, I think it, it kind of sums up some of the testimonies that you've shared. God promises to be our guide. He does not promise to be our map. God promises to be our guide. He does not promise to be our map. What does that mean to you? He doesn't necessarily tell you what's ahead. Okay. But he is going to lead and guide you for what is up ahead. Okay. He doesn't give you the big picture. I don't see the whole picture. Okay. When I have a map, um, I think I know what to do. Right. And, and I might not ask anybody for directions because I'm going to read that map. Yeah. But if I'm following somebody and they just say, just, just stay behind me and I'll get you there, I don't think about it. I just watch them. And I can do whatever else and not have to think. You know. So a guide, not a map. He wants us to follow him. Yeah, yeah. He wants us to pay attention to where he is. Instead of thinking that we've got it all on our own. God promises to reveal his path. God promises to reveal his path. He does not promise us the ready answer. God promises to reveal his path. He does not promise us the ready answer. So when you're on a path, you've you got to keep stepping you got to keep walking. He wants to walk with us. you got to keep moving. The ready answer, if you know what to do, then you don't have to go anywhere. You just turn around and do your own thing. So God might not reveal that immediate answer, but he will show you a path that will take you where he wants you to go, and he's your guide, so you keep following him. God promises a process to mold us. God promises a process to mold us. He does not promise to be our shortcut. Mold us, yes. God promises a process to mold us. He does not promise to be our shortcut. Not a microwave God. He's a slow cooker God. It's one of the ways to think about it. It's that ready answer, that immediate, that you can do it for yourself because you now know everything. No. Um, it wasn't until Adam and Eve sinned that they knew things. Before that, God just wanted them to be with him. He just wanted to walk in the garden with them. But when they sinned is when they knew things. So God doesn't make sure we know. He makes sure that we are with him. He wants us to fellowship. And we've got examples all through the Bible, from the Garden of Eden to the disciples in the New Testament. Our call from him today, even today, it's about God and his craving to get to know us and for us to know him. And another example from the Bible that, re- that goes back to our quote here, um, when God called the Israelites out of Egypt to go to the promised land, the actual map distance of their journey from Egypt to the Promised Land, they could have walked it in 11 days. And it took how long? 40 years. Hmm. What was that about? <laughs> that was about God giving them lots of opportunities to walk with him, to get to know him. It's not a, a rapid Solution. It's not a rapid relationship. It, there's a lot of time to grow as you take your time with God. God also wants us to be walking voices. And our doors, we're reading them backwards when we're sitting in here and looking out to those doors. But if he is the walking voice and we walk with him, then his voice becomes our voice as we love, serve, live, and share. Our truth church mission. If God is silent in our lives, and sometimes he is, not often, 
Because, you know, remember we have all these seven ways plus some. We didn't even talk about music. Music didn't even make the list of seven ways that God speaks. Hmm. How many times has the just the right song been part of worship service? You're just like, okay, Lord, you knew what I need. But he speaks in all kind of ways, but every now and then he might really be silent, and we might be asking him for something, and we feel like he's not speaking back. It could be that he is testing us. Hmm. We are tested. That's, that's how we're strengthened. That's how we become pure. We go through tests and trials. Or he could be waiting for us to obey something he's already told us. Any parents in the room when, the, when you've already said no and they ask again? Do you say how many times do I have to say no? What, what, what part of no did you not understand? Or you just give them the look? Were you at Walmart when I just said no? You know, that kind of thing. So God could be silent in our lives because he's waiting for us to obey something he's already told us to do. But if God is silent, that's his business. If we are silent, that's our fault. Because if, we're, if we don't brag about God's goodness, if we don't talk to God and tell him what we need or tell him how much we love him or just talk to him like a friend, then we've just automatically given victory to the enemy. Because... That's, that's what the devil wants, is for us to be silent. He doesn't want us to be an extension of God's voice. He wants to muzzle our voices. The devil knows the power of our voice crying out to God. There's instances in the Bible when it didn't matter if Jesus could see the person who needed him, he heard them crying out. And he went and found them. And the crowd may have completely blocked that needy person from his view, but he could hear them. And he went and found them. Um, when we are adopted into the family of God and we cry, Abba, Father, that's, that's what he loves to hear. Well, the devil knows that silencing that, silencing our talking to God in prayer gives the devil the power. He knows your voice is a powerful weapon against the kingdom of darkness. The devil would like to muzzle your voice. He knows firsthand the power of a believer when he or she cries out to God. He knows your voice is a powerful weapon against the kingdom of darkness. He attempts to muzzle that voice with condemnation. Condemnation. Which is what? What is condemnation? Guilty with no hope. Yeah. Condemnation is guilt with, with no hope of redemption. Like, like you're done, and, and you should be ashamed, and that's the only thing you should ever be is ashamed. Conviction is guilty with repentance and a hope of redemption. So the devil is about condemnation, and God is about conviction. He wants us to be called to change with that conviction of what needs to be different. The devil wants us to feel like we can't ever get out of that nastiness. And, and so it's over. We're condemned. We're judged. It's over. Intimidation or indifference. Oh, this world that we're in. Indifference. Where do you want to eat tonight? Oh, okay. I mean, that's simple. That's that's a form of indifference. It, you know, it's not necessarily disrespectful. It's just, uh, whatever, you choose. But do you want to go to heaven? Uh, I don't know. Wow. Is the choice you made to step away from church going to have consequences for you? Well, I don't know, maybe. I, I mean, there's a lot I can do that it doesn't really matter either way. And so when you're indifferent, you're not talking about God's goodness. You're not asking God to forgive you for the things that are one side or the other. You're just in the middle. Don't let yourself be silenced by the enemy. The book says it's your voice, it's your choice. 
And then here's one of the things that just really, really hit me. If we have a relationship with God, then when we let the enemy keep us from praying, we're actually silencing God's voice. Wow. It's not just Delene's ideas that, that stop testifying. It's God's voice. Because the more time I spend with God, the more I sound like him. And we have an example of that in the New Testament. Simon Peter, right before the crucifixion. And there were strangers who heard him talking and said, surely you're one of those disciples. You're one of those followers of Jesus. Your speech betrays you. You sound like Jesus. Wow, what a compliment. What would I give to have somebody tell me that? And for Simon Peter, in that moment, it was his condemnation in his heart. I mean, you know, his, his reaction was, uh, don't say that. Don't, don't say that about me. I, I, mm. Let's set as our goal to walk so much with God that his voice becomes ours. And that yes. walking voice is one yes. that we can, can execute. So, the second devotion, God awaits our voice. I really don't know how I'm doing on time, y'all. I don't know how much time we're supposed to be here. But I'll try to not, not dally. <laughs> In Genesis chapter 4 and verse 26, the first biblical mention of prayer is all the way in Genesis 4, 26. You know, that's Brother Gurley's take on it, is then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. There were generations that had already passed before we got to Genesis chapter 4. We'd already gone through several rotations around the earth at that point, if you will, or around the sun. The Hebrew word call or kara, I think is how you pronounce it, has many meanings. It can mean to name, to proclaim, to cry out for help, to petition, to worship, to adore, to shout God's worthiness, tell abroad, publish, so forth. But generations had already passed before we even get to Genesis chapter 4. So Brother Gurley reads that and interprets for us to think about it's never too late for us to begin a relationship with God that gets passed on to others. It doesn't matter what our family did in the past. Right. It doesn't matter what you did this morning or yesterday or last year. It's never too late to begin a new godly lineage of using our voice to communicate to God. He wants to hear our voice. Amen. He loves our prayers so much that he draws near the very millisecond we call out to him. I mean, he's that great that he can be everywhere at once. And so he doesn't have far to go. Okay, there's that. He doesn't have far to travel to get to me. But it, it, that's just, I mean, we're also talking about billions and billions of people worldwide that could call out to him. And it doesn't matter. He's, right. he's right there the minute you call out. Because he's waiting to hear our voice. Yes. He's waiting. He's paused. He's holding his breath. Waiting to hear us call out to him. Jesus. He wants it so much that he doesn't hold on to our past sins or failures. Not willing that any he is not willing that any should perish, Bishop. And he doesn't hold on to our past sins or failures. He just promises to forget them when we repent. That's his promise to us. That when you repent, I forget about it. I, I forget about it. If we turn from our wicked ways. The things he holds on to, the Bible does tell us about a couple of things that he holds on to. If you have a question about a blank, don't, don't hesitate to tell me to slow down or back up or whatever. On page two? Yeah, the very bottom. 
It is never too late to begin a godly lineage. Is that is that the one? Okay. So what what does the Bible say that he holds on to? Prayers. He holds on to your prayers. Yes. Tears. Tears. He holds on to your tears. Really? That's all he holds on to? Well, think about it. If he promised to forget our sins, then the, all that stuff we tell him that we're sorry for, he, he, he lets go of that. He throws it away. casts it as far away as the east is from the west. But what's precious to him, precious enough for him to catch in a bottle, Psalms 56 and 8, are our tears. Thou tellest my wanderings, put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? So when, when we cry, we're giving God something that he wants to hold on to. Wow. I don't feel guilty for crying anymore. You know. And then he holds our prayers. Revelation 5 and 8. When he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps, and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. So Brother Gurley envisions it as these big old bowls on the altar that hold the prayers of the saints. And they, they have a scent. God breathes it in. God doesn't have to breathe anything, but he breathes in my prayers. God doesn't have to hold on to anything, but he holds on to my tears and saves them. But he does that because he loves a repentant heart. And when I come to him, praying, talking to him as a friend, repenting, tears of joy or sorrow, either one, he just throws away all the sins that I express, but he keeps that that wrapping. So he's, he's like the kid who would rather play with the box than the toy. He's like, I don't care what's inside. I just, yeah. want, the, I just want your love and your tears and your prayers. Yes, sir. Would you just said real quickly to yeah. talk to him like he's your friend. Oh, oh. I mean, not some king that's condemning you or, I mean, that's, he just wants that. Just like I was talking to you now. Is that hard? Can I, can I ask you personally? Is, is it hard for you to just talk like that when you don't have somebody there to look at, or you know, like, like you know, you don't know what number to dial on the phone. What, what's that like? I just, I hate it when I start feeling repetitious every morning. Like I'm just like, does he really? I just, say, I feel like I'm saying the same thing, but okay. I just think about casting my care. So I'll just go through my previous day and just ah. I close my eyes and I imagine I'm sitting at his feet, looking at his ankles, looking at his knee. Okay. Just to kind of help me, yeah. even though it's all dark. Yeah, yeah. What he smells like. Yeah, yeah. He cares. Yeah. That's amazing. That's what he craves. That's what he craves with Riley. Yeah. Except he doesn't hold on to our sins. What, what's the other one? Failures. Failures. Thank you. Yes, thank you. For me, talking to him like a friend um, means sometimes I kind of tell it like it is. And I had to get a little bit older in my prayer life before I felt comfortable doing that. I can remember a sermon that I heard at a funeral where the minister said that when you sit at the feet of the master and ask him why did something happen, that you're asking to learn from him, that you really want to learn what you need to know uh, from that lesson. Um, and so when I approach God as my best friend, sometimes I'm like, all right, you've got to explain this to me because I, I don't get it. And, and if you're not going to change the situation, then okay, go ahead and change me. But, you know, let's, let's get down and dirty about this because... I, I need to feel like you understand me where I am. 
And if I try to envision him as a king or as something that's unreachable, then I don't feel like he understands me where I am. It's like that's my way of, of connecting to him as my best friend, too. So I think it becomes easier. Oh, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Sister, Sister Judy. God who can be all of those things he is not limited what we need him to be he is and he um, he doesn't put any conditions on it except that repentant heart that you know true love and worship and honesty with him and you feel so welcome yes 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 it's the enemy that tries to convince you you're not that's that condemnation, y'all. If you feel like God doesn't want you, you I'll just tell you right now, that's not God telling you that. That I'm just right now, you can just anytime you have that thought or that feeling, mm -mm, get behind me, Satan. Because God wants me. He welcomes me. Yes, thank you. Absolutely. The shepherd leads you. He guides you. He said you shall not want. Little Johnny in Sunday school class was trying to quote, quote the 21st Psalm. He got a little confused. He said, the Lord is my shepherd, and that's all I want. Oh. Oh, I love that. That's all I want. Yeah. That's all that's needed. That's all that's needed. Because he, he knows. Yes. Our down settings and our uprights. Yes, he does. Loves us anyway. <laughs> so that, that makes me want to be obsessed with him. Practicing his presence. One magnificent obsession to seek his face. And again, that's, this little section is kind of mashing up two of the devotionals. So there's a lot more meat in how the book presents it. But I pulled some of the highlights in terms of why we're praying because this week it's prayers necessity why pray or pray why and, and it's because God calls us to he wants to be with us and practicing being with him needs to become the number one thing that we want and the the contrast of being without prayer, being prayerless, versus being prayerful. Why do we want to be prayerful rather than prayerless? Why do we want to be prayerful rather than prayerless? Remember that the diagnosis for the illness, the peril of the world is acute prayerlessness. And that is where you see an independence from God. Prayerlessness is a sin against God. Prayerlessness is rooted in pride and laziness. Ooh, book, stop preaching to me. Ooh, stop preaching to me, book. I don't want to think about pride and laziness and how that keeps me from having a habit of prayer if I let it. Mm. But I think what the books provided that was the most impressive to me is prayerlessness shows a lack of desperation for God. It's, you know, that pride or arrogance or self-sufficiency that says, yeah, God is good. I mean, you know, I'm glad that I know him, but I don't know if I need him. I don't know if I'm desperate for him and God wants us to be desperate for him yes. 
he's desperate for our fellowship and he wants us to feel that same towards him he wants us to be desperate for him and prayerfulness shows that we're hungry and thirsty for god that we're hum that we have humility and discipline that we are obedient to god and that we depend on him so we want to be prayerful rather than prayerless prayerless people are full and have no appetite. How that differs from desperate people. This is a quote. Hungry people need no coaching to beg. Hungry people need no 12-step solution to face their issues. Hungry people cry out for help. That's a very interesting quote to me. I don't necessarily think that it is intended to be against any particular program that can be a Christian help to someone who needs it. But when we think about desperation, if you're desperate, you don't have to be taught how to cry out. I mean, it's, it's definitely a way to think about it yes absolutely absolutely when you are desperate that is the only thing that drives you that is the magnificent obsession of your life it's what occupies every waking thought it's what drives every decision that you make that magnificent obsession just is what motivates you all the time so we want to practice his presence and we want to have that God view that with God all things are possible. Look at y'all. Y'all are so smart. With God all things are possible. Mark chapter 10 verse 27. Now here's, here's something interesting. This, okay, we're we going to go deep for, for you know, just a minute or two. Y'all hang on. Hang on. Don't. What's the opposite of God? For something to have an opposite, you have to be able to say it is equal, but the other end of. So we, we, we kind of maybe fall back on that instinctual answer that the opposite of God is the devil, but there is no way the devil is equal to God. He can't compete. There is nothing beside God at all. Period. And I've, I've been taught in leadership that every situation has two sides. And at one time it was taught to me no matter how flat the pancake is, there's still two sides to it. So that means there's always another perspective to consider. Not with God. God is the absolute God. There is no opposite for him to measure himself against. So then he is the one who defines what opposites are. In him there is no variableness or shadow of turning. No shadow of turning. If, if he is all, then he's a God of absolutes and it's all or nothing with him. The choices that we make are all or nothing. And he has the power to decide what's all and what's nothing. Right. Because he has... <laughs> Nothing to compare himself against, so then he's, he's the ruling authority on it. Yeah. Okay? He divided the darkness from the light, remember? So he defines what is absolute. If light is opposite of darkness, is good, if good is opposite of evil, God defined every bit of that. So he understands what absolutes are. So then, if nothing is impossible with God, then everything is impossible without God. God. Uh, that's good. Wow. Wait, now what? You mean I can't tie my shoes without God? Right. I can't decide what cereal I want to eat without God? I don't want to. I don't want to either. But honestly, if I were to really think about it, it's because of God designing me to have the fingers that work that make me able to tie my shoes. 
So it would be impossible to tie my shoes without God. If you really want to get that pure with it, that black and white with it, that's the magnificent obsession that we're talking about. That's the way David viewed God. David was obsessed with God's presence. Was David an ideal Christian? <laughs> no, not really. But he was still obsessed with God's presence. And the reason that we have so much in the Bible that was an outcome of David's life is because he was obsessed with worshiping God. We've got songs and we've got stories of triumph and we've got stories of sin and repentance from David's life because he was obsessed. If he got out of God's presence, he was obsessed to get back in it and he would do what he, whatever he had to to get back in it when he realized he was out of it. When we realize the absolute truth that everything is impossible without God, why wouldn't we want to spend every waking minute with him? Amen. Amen. I think Pastor just uh, here recently spelled that out in a beautiful way when he dealt with 84 of Psalms, mm -hmm. where David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper yes. in the house of my God one day. Yes, yes, one day. yes rather than to dwell in the tents of the wicked a thousand. Trade one day for three years. Yes. Uh, I think I think what happened in David's heart and mind was that in Old Testament times, the halt, the maimed, the lame, the blind, the decrepit, the, the castaways, they couldn't even go into the temple. They couldn't even enter the house. True. Okay. And so if he could just be at the door. At the door. What he heard coming out the door, uh, what noises, praises, uh, preaching, teaching. What he smelled, the incense, yes, the, yes. Yeah, the sweet-smelling savor yes. that came out of the door was so refreshing. And I've got the Holy Ghost all over me right now. Dynamic. That, that it, if I can trade one day of what comes out of that building. And the lame man, when he was healed, the Bible said his feet immediately received strength and, and he was no longer a cripple sitting at the church door begging. Mm. But now then that he's healed, you feel it? And now then that he's healed, he jumped and he ran. He directly into the temple, leaping in. and jumping. And, and praising God. And that yes. comprehension. Yes. And if we can ever get a hold of that, Yes. Who would want to miss Amen. opportunity to come into the Amen. Amen. God's presence? Wow. Yes, yes, yes. I'm just borrowing Brother Garley and, and standing on the shoulders of greatness, Bishop. Yes, sir. His, his face is described in so many beautiful ways in the Word. Why wouldn't we be obsessed with that face? Why wouldn't we be obsessed with that presence? Enter in. Fairest of 10,000, bright and morning star, lily of the valley. There's another little Hebrew lesson, tiny one. I'm not, I'm not Brother Jonathan Arnett by any stretch, but God told Moses at Mount Sinai that his presence would go with Israel to the promised land. The Hebrew word for presence is pane or panim, meaning face wow. or faces. We see God's face is equivalent to God's presence. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. To seek his face is equal to long for his presence. Why do you pray? Now this is where I'm preaching to me again, y'all. Is it because you know you should? Do we feel condemnation when we don't pray? Is it because you need something and you can't fix it yourself? And you trust that God is able to fix it? Is it because someone is making you feel guilty when you don't pray? What about praying just because we want to yeah. be with Jesus? Right. Pray why? Because he called us. That's enough. Amen. He called us. Because he is walking with divine footsteps in the garden in the cool of the evening and he wants us to join him there. Put him in order first in our lives. And seek his face above all others. That is the necessity of prayer. That is the necessity of prayer. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank y'all all so much. <laughs> I am so thankful we get this recorded so that we can go back and listen to it again. It, it will be posted when everything's put together, and then the handouts will be too. But I look forward to seeing you all next week. Appreciate y'all so much. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Let's end in prayer. All right. <laughs> Lord, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. What a magnificent obsession. What a divine calling to know you want to fellowship with us. Thank you for your word that teaches us about how to pray. Thank you for the inspiration that prayer brings to our lives. Thank you because we can pray alone and together. And thank you most of all because anything we say to you, you crave to hear. And I just give you all the glory for this time together, for the time in the future. I ask you to go with us, keep us safe, bring us back at the appointed hour, and make us your hands and feet sharing the gospel. Thank you, Jesus. We give you all glory in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.